Hey everybody, it's Tim. Welcome or welcome back to the LOH Church Podcast. At the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to this podcast and our YouTube channel where you can access all of our message content. Most importantly, I hope the following message inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. Easter has passed. You know, I, I know people that keep their Christmas decorations up all year long. <laughs> like the tree and stuff. I don't mean like the lights you forget and you don't want to get up on the roof. I mean tree and stuff. I've never done that. But, but you know what? Uh, Easter isn't over. Easter never is over. And what we've looked at over our Easter season is we have, we have talked about the focal points, the cross, but we didn't just talk about the cross and we didn't just talk about the stone rolled away and the, the death of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus. We talked, we've talked about how believers are, are, are truly connected in to the, the death of Christ on the cross, the resurrection from the tomb. Um, but also it goes on. The ascension and the second coming of Jesus. The ascension of Jesus Christ is, is a foundational truth of the Christian faith that should be focused on all year long just as the cross should be focused on all year long and the resurrection all year long because we are tied together to every one of those events. And they're not only central to the Christian faith, and not only central to the messages we preach, but they're also practical. So why do we focus on them? Well, because as I said, it wasn't only Jesus that was crucified, we were crucified with him. It's not only Jesus who was buried, but we were buried with him. It's not only Jesus who was raised from the dead, but we were raised up with him according to New Testament theology and not only were we raised with him what we're going to talk about today is when he ascended on high and was seated at the right hand of the majesty of God you and I were seated with him what does that mean that means the power of Christ's ascension the placement of Christ's ascension, the purpose of his ascension is also our power, our placement, and our purpose. In, the, in May, we're going to get back into the book of Ephesians, but in the previous volume, volumes that I've shared, they've been for the purpose of God showing us these amazing, almost too good to be true to believe, graces that have been released through the life, death, resurrection, ascension of Jesus Christ. And I want to show you a couple passages from Ephesians today to get us ready to go back into there. In chapter 1, Ephesians 1, Paul is praying a prayer and he is asking the Lord to help us see and receive many things that God has already done for us in Christ. And here's what he says. 
He's praying that our eyes would be open to these things. And he says that our eyes would be open to his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule, far above all authority, power, and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And as believers, we say, amen. Jesus is, is ascended. He's at the right hand of God. He's far above all that, far above all that. We believe all that. We even say it. We state it in creeds. It's written down for centuries and centuries and centuries. But what Paul is saying here, I'm praying that God will open your eyes to know that's where you are. That's what Ephesians 1 is all about. That that ascension power is for the church and for every true believer. We are seated in this room on Moss Avenue, but spiritually speaking, if you're a believer, you are and have been seated in heavenly places with Jesus Christ at the right hand of the majestic God. I don't know about you, but what does that mean? What is that power? That is truly, if the Bible is true, that is truly you and truly me in Christ. If we've been raised up in new birth, we are also, in God's eyes, reigning with Jesus Christ. And living as such honors God. It doesn't dishonor God to say and believe that we are not just sinners saved by grace. We are raised up sons and daughters, seated in heavenly places with Jesus at the right hand of the majestic God. Because he paid too high a price that we should see ourselves any less. It's not robbery to believe that God the Father is pleased that you take your seat at the throne table of God in his grace. That actually honors God to believe that you honor what his son did for you. Where are we? In heavenly places. What does that mean? It's a place of power. When did it happen? When we believed. But you know what? Before we believed, it already happened to Jesus. Before you were born, God did everything so that we could be born again, so that we could be dead to our past, so that we could overcome our past. But not only that, so we could be raised up to sit with Jesus in heavenly places, places in Christ. And it doesn't matter, well, it does matter if you feel that or not. But feelings don't change the truth. If you don't feel that, it doesn't mean you're not that. Because feeling it is great, but the truth of God's word is, it is this way even if you don't feel it to be so. Look what the scripture says in Ephesians 2, 6 and 7. And God raised us up with Christ and God seated us, raise your hand if you're an us. Yeah, 
God seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ. Why? Why did he do it? it? Tells you right here. In order that in the coming ages, which we're in one of those right now, from the time he wrote this, from the time he said this to the Ephesians, in the ages to come, which we're in one, he did this so that he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Hey, if somebody loves you, don't you love it when they express it? If you really are loved, isn't it great when someone expresses to you that what they say they really mean? God raised us up to be seated with Christ so that he might show, he might express the kindness that we have in Christ. He doesn't just want to say, hey, here's your little card. When you get up here to heaven someday, I'll actually express this. No, no, no. He is saying, I've, I've set you here positionally because in the coming ages of your life and as you age in your life, I want to express to you the kindness in Christ Jesus. Is that amazing or what? He's wanted to do that since the beginning. Since Adam and Eve fell away from their state, God set in motion a plan before it happened to bring his sons and daughters back into that place of glory through the Son of Glory coming to take our place, to bring us back into the original condition and position so that he could express, this is who God is, so that he could express his kindness to us back in that original position. And that's what Jesus did. So when he said it is finished, it was far more than just about your sin penalty being paid for. It was to bring us back into a place of innocence and glory in and with God in Christ. One of the most popular children authors of all time, maybe, maybe you agree, is C.S. Lewis. Any C.S. Lewis fans in, in the room? Yeah? Um, He's also considered one of the most brilliant apologists in history. Some of his books uh, on apologetics are just, uh, can't be topped. Mere Christianity, The Abolition of Man, The Weight of His Glory, The Great Divorce, The Problem of Pain, Surprised by Joy. All of them are worth your time. All of them are worth your time. But he's mostly known for his children's series, The Chronicles of Narnia. Any Chronicles of Narnia fans in the room? All right, how many of you are just really Chronicles of Narnia nerds? Both hands up, both hands up, okay? I apologize in advance for, for just a very, very uh, not-do-justice summary of one of the books, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Um, for those who have never read it, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, written by C.S. Lewis, it's about an old prophecy in the land of Narnia, this fantasy land that is constructed in the imagination of C.S. Lewis, a, a prophecy that young children would rise to be crowned kings and queens again through a rescue operation of Narnia from the dark powers and the rule of the white witch. Sort of, is that maybe a C plus, B minus expression? Uh, 
The characters in it, Aslan is this lion. Uh, and uh, the, there is this sense of uh, something that's happened where it's described as Narnia being always winter and never Christmas. And people are under the rule of the, of the white witch. And they, have, they are under the spell of, this, of this, this magic from her, like sin, and it actually turns people into stone. Um, the kids who come through the wardrobe of this world into Narnia uh, come to find out that they have been ordained to, to fulfill the role of these princes and princesses, these, to, to reign once Narnia is recaptured. And Aslan is going to play the role in bringing about this event. But then they are ordained to establish that reign and, and war to make sure it is, it is enforced. Does this sound sort of like the kingdom of God story in a way? Well, Aslan has to submit his life to the witch. And he's slain by her on a stone table. Well, the law is like the stone tablets of, uh, of, the, of the Bible. But something takes place where Aslan, in his death, over a period of time while the children are mourning and people think Narnia is lost forever, the stone table that Aslan was slain on breaks and Aslan comes back to life. And he and, and, the, and the rulers of his, of his dominion go through Narnia, uh, freeing people from this magic. And Lewis writes it like this. He says, though the witch knew the deep magic, there is a magic deeper still which she did not know. Her knowledge goes back only to the dawn of time, but if she could have looked a little further back into the stillness and the darkness before time dawned, she would have had read there a different incantation. She would have known, I love this, that when a willing victim who had committed no treachery was killed in a traitor's place, the table would crack and death itself would start working backward. Isn't it masterful language? So the story points as a fantasy novel to the work of Christ. He, he put to death, death. He defeated it. And our destiny in Christ would be restored so we could reign with the king. And this is what Paul was saying. I pray that God will open your eyes of your spirit so you can see not only that you're forgiven, but you've been raised up to sit with Jesus in high places. And this is a volume way out beyond where I'm going to start when we get back in May. But the final volume is about the army of God. And the last part of Ephesus, of the Ephesian letter, is about being strong in the Lord, the power of his might, putting on the full arm of God, because we are in a battle, a spiritual battle against principalities, powers, to enforce the reign of the kingdom of God. You know, yesterday was Earth Day, and I, I sat and I thought, I wonder if the originator, I don't know who invented Earth Day, I'm not against Earth Day, but I always wonder, did the originators of Earth Day ever point to the creator of the Earth? This is the sun's world, not our world. This is the sun who made it. The sun who crowned Adam and Eve, it's his Earth. And he came into what he made to taste death for all on the earth and break the power of death so that the sons and daughters of the earth could come back into the glory originally intended by the creator of this world and every world. 
And that would be a great way to celebrate Earth Day. One day, our Aslan is going to come back. He's going to come back and he's going to change everything. And we're going to reign in honor of his work because he's going to come again. He's going to set things right. There's a scene uh, in the, the story of the Lion, Witch, in the Wardrobe where Peter, interesting, Peter is one of the children who's going to reign with a sword. And Peter says, for Narnia and for Aslan, that's the picture. That's what the ascension is about. Where you and I, we honor the Lord by receiving by reigning instead of cowering back, pushing away his love, pushing away his forgiveness and his grace. No, we honor the Lord by receiving what he's spoken on us, that the Messiah would reclaim the glory that God wants on us, that he wants on his church. Isaiah, six centuries before Jesus was born in Bethlehem, 600 years before that, sees the end product before it begins. Because God always announces the end before the beginning. And God always establishes the words and he does nothing before he tells his prophets. And Isaiah is seeing the suffering of the servant of Yahweh and, and the ascension of the servant of Yahweh. And he sees all that and, he's, and he breaks into this exhortation for the people of God for all time. And he tells us to wake up. He tells us to wake up. Look what he says in Isaiah 52. He says, this is the Holy Spirit. Awake, awake Zion. Zion just means the people of God. Awake, awake people of God. Clothe yourself with strength. Look at this terminology. Put on your garments of splendor. See the poetic, the, the poetic language of, of, of royalty and reigning. What is God telling the people of God to do? Wake up and put the, the, the clothing of strength on yourself. It's like it's already been made. And then he says, shake off your dust. Rise up. There's that resurrection idea from last week with Lazarus. Rise up. Sit enthroned. Free yourself from the chains on your neck, daughter Zion, now a captive. We can be prisoners in our mind, even when we've been called to reign. We can be living as prisoners in the land of promise where the power of God has already been released for you and I to live like we are actually positioned at the right hand of God's majesty with Jesus. Isn't that something? That's what my rags to riches volume was about. That's what his body, our body was about. That's what community is about. That our faith would rise and realize that God is honored when we sit in regal royalty in relationship. Here's how it says again in Ephesians. I want to say it one more time. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ. Now kindness doesn't just mean he sees us struggling, comes over and goes, hang in there buddy. He just smiles at us as we waller and struggle and get run over. No, kindness brings the whole package, if you will, of all the graces that when Jesus said it's finished, he's also saying it started. 
it started. Now, I haven't unhitched from the Old Testament, and I'll show you another reason why. It's dumb to do so. Sorry. It is. I'll tell you why. Because you can't understand the new without the old. And there are so many pictures of the new and the old. And a person that's fully, this is what Jesus said, where, no matter what anybody else said, but what Jesus said is, those who are fully schooled in the kingdom of God will bring out of their treasures things new and old. So here's an old thing to point to the new thing. There's a beautiful picture of what I've talked about just now in 2 Samuel 9. In 2 Samuel 9, you see a light of the gospel that's casting a shadow in a story about King David, who is the great-great-great-great-grandfather of the Messiah Jesus who would come. So let me set it up. David's enemies, David's enemies have been defeated. Not just Goliath, I mean all of them. They've been defeated, and David is now ruling in Jerusalem. He's taken the city, he's on the throne, and he's ruling from Jerusalem, and he's in a new position, and David has a desire. Dustin talked about it a few weeks ago. One of them was to build a house for Yahweh. How can I be living in this glorious house and Yahweh is living in it, right? And Nathan tweaked him and said, nah, God's not really worried about that. He's not really worried about that. But, so, but, but there's something else David was overwhelmed with. Who am I and my family that you have been so kind to me? But then, because when kindness comes, you wanna give it to others. But usually we give it to people we like. David's different, just like his Messiah will be. David asks, is there anyone still left of the house of Saul? Saul. Is there anyone still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Do you see the imagery there? David has a, co a, a covenant with somebody else and he wants, in that covenant of favor, he wants to show kindness to anybody related to the one he loved. For Jonathan's sake, and the king asks, is there no one still alive from the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness? The actual word is hesed. Ziba answers the king, there is still a son of Jonathan, notice it, he is lame in both feet. It doesn't just say he's lame. No, he's lame. No, he's, he's crippled in both feet. So King David had him brought from Lodabar. Now, think about king, the king story that you, you've ever read and watched in movies. The usual practice is to imprison or even execute the entire family of the previous dynasty, especially if that kingdom sought to kill you. Isn't that right? You're just going to torch them all and set it right. You don't want any enemies in your cabinet. You're going to get rid of all of them. Yet David, due to his covenant with Jonathan, is in this place of power where he can destroy or bless. And in this place of power, he wishes to release kindness through a, kin, a kinship that's greater than blood. It's a, it's a covenant established between, between two friends, David and Jonathan. You could preach a whole series on that. We're seeing the gospel light shining a shadow on this that we should study because 
these are, the, these are the stories that the apostles used for the first 100 years before the new covenant. The, the, only, covenant, the only testament they had were, was these stories. And they preached Christ out of it in the Jewish synagogue. Some of them went, I see that now. Why would we unhitch from that? Why did we stop following the, the apostles? We have new ones? The Father in heaven, for the Son's sake, sends out the Spirit in the earth to seek out those in humanity that, that are lost in Narnia, that are under the spell, that are frozen from the dark magic. And the work of God's rescue and renewal is available to all of them so they can sit enthroned, but they can't get to the throne because they can't walk. They're crippled in both feet. And they live in a place called Lodabar, which in the Hebrew means no pasture land. They have no shepherd, they have no food, they have no pasture land. Does it sound like the heart of Jesus? I'm looking out over the masses. They're fainting on the way. They have no shepherd, they're harassed. Feed them, help, right? Is that, is that not the heart of God? Zeba is a type and imagery of the spirit going out looking for those that are lost, frozen, unable to get to the father's house. Do you know how they got him there? They carried him there. They carry him there. Carry him there. Now watch this in the next verse. When he comes to sit at the table, Mephibosheth, crippled in both feet, is seated at the king's table. And the king says to him, and here's what he says to us. One, don't be afraid. Number one, don't be afraid. Mephibosheth could have thought, this guy could kill me. This guy killed Goliath, right? This guy slaughtered all his enemies. This guy took the throne through battle. He's a warrior. He's not just a poet. He's not just a worship leader. He's a warrior king. There's blood on his hands. That's why God wouldn't allow him to build the house of the Lord. This guy's a warrior. And you have to be wondering, is this a setup? Is he going to get me later? Am I not, what am I going to eat here? And, and David says, don't be afraid. And then he says, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. The kindness that's coming your way was not earned or was not lost by you. It was confirmed and established forever by my relationship with somebody else. And so with us, when we put our faith in that somebody else, we get the same favor that God has for that somebody else, and that's his son. And we are welcomed at the table of the king, and God says to us, don't be afraid, and I will surely show kindness to you for the sake of Jesus. Number three, I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your great-grandfather Saul. Saul forfeited the kingship. Saul forfeited his anointing. And he sought to murder this one who is now saying, my covenant of restoration on your family has nothing to do with Saul. It has to do with somebody in Saul's line. 
and Jesus came into the line of humanity to establish something that canceled all of the curses and all the reasons why grandpa and grandma and me and you have forfeited our opportunity. Somebody else took it on himself, took that curse on himself, took all the punishment on himself so that you and I, in his place, could receive something and not only that, have restored to us the possessions that God originally intended for all... It is so contrary to what we think and believe in the natural, because we don't deserve any of this, that it requires a light from the Holy Spirit to make it real in our lives or we'll never get in on it. We will sit in the church lost in Lodabar when we're in the house of the king. And there's a fourth one. Wouldn't three be enough? There's not, there's another. And you will always eat at my table. That right there. You talk about winding your watch. There's your verse. Aren't you glad? We went to 2 Samuel 9. Do you hear the Lord in that? Is it not a picture of, the, of, of Jesus and his redemptive work that Hebrews talks about? How do you understand Hebrews without studying the Old Testament? How do you even? I titled this message, Not Jesus and the Throne, You and the Throne. Because we are all Mephibosheth. He's me, he's you. And we all need Hesed. It's beyond kindness in our understanding. It is, it is bought in blood. It, it, it is all of, it is, it is God saying to Adam, it's all yours. Every tree, name the animals. It's, I, I will be glorified by you walking in this dominion that I've given you. That's where we are. Rags to riches. We're not at a stone table, we're at a throne table. The Lord's heart, after breaking the stone table, is, th is there anyone? Didn't he say that to the apostles? Go out into the highways. Go out into the hedges. Hedges, man. Imagine if people that slept in the hedges last night started coming to LOH. I mean, literally. I mean, with leaves in their hair. And... Where, would, where would they be? What if they didn't just come once? What if they came every week? Go out because they can't walk here. They're lame in both feet. They live in a non-pasture land. No shepherd. The church is not set up to be an evangelistic center. It's set up by the scriptures to be an equipping center for us to be evangelists everywhere we go to create the environment that we make church palatable for the lost. The lost don't come, folks, pretty much. Every now and then we get lucky. Or we just keep getting saved people lost so we can get them saved again. And, and, uh, the church is not to be an evangelism center. The church is to be an equipping center where we go into the world, like Jesus said, with the clothes of righteousness, and we find those who cannot walk. 
and tell them about someone that came to unfreeze the stone hearts in Narnia. So we come to sit at the table of the Lord. And I don't know, you know, there are certain times I've sat at a table when the chair was so low that, you know, it's like this. But most of the time when I sit at a table, my heart is above the surface. So when Mephibosheth comes to sit at the table, his heart is above the table, but his lame feet are below it. It says he sits at the table, but he's lame in his feet. Above the throne table, here's what it's like. Favor, purpose, power. I'll add another one. Purity. I forgot at post time, I left that one out, but it's true nonetheless. And when we are seated at the table of the king, which is where we always are, by the way, our reservation never expires Dave, should I tell him about my MLB mistake? I, I, I was telling Dave Green, you know, we we're talking about the Orioles and the Pirates. They're playing pretty good right now, so we have a window of time to brag. <laughs> what have we, 20 games? 20 games in. We're in first place! Yeah. July will be like, I hate that team, right? <laughs> Fire! Whatever. So... Last year, at the end of the year, I get this thing from MLB that says, hey, here's a good deal for you. For 25 bucks, you can watch all the playoffs. I'm like, dude, that's great. So boom, bam, boom. I watched, I had it. And then the fine print, it says, now, now this will kick back in if you don't cancel and you'll be charged 149 bucks for the whole dang thing. I forgot. <laughs> so the new season begins. And I'm texting my son. I'm like, dude, I don't get it. I'm, I can watch the games on this MLB. I don't get it. Are they having like a free week, you know, like free trial? For all the, for all the people that, they, they, and all, Netflix, all the, hey, let's do the free trial thing for all the losers out there that will forget to unsubscribe. And then we got them, right? Oh, yeah. Well, that's what I did. So, so I'm watching, I'm like, dude, it's not just game with Devin's like, they probably just have opening day game one. I'm like, I got to watch it. But then on the next night, I was like, dude, it's still on. I was, tell, I was texting all my friends, all my baseball freaks, and, and we're like, I'm like, dude, I don't understand. I'm watching this. I can watch the Dodgers. I can watch the Yankees. I can watch the Orioles. I can watch, I'm watching them all. What's going on? And then my checking account statement came through. <laughs> and I see this. $149.99. I'm like, oh no! <laughs> but you know, God works all things for good. <laughs> because I, what am I going to do about it now? The price has been paid. <laughs> and God used my stupidity so I can now watch the pirates in this short window of time when they're winning all the games. Praise God. Anyway. <laughs> So I said, Alexa, remind me to cancel MLB. <laughs> yes, Will Robinson. Uh, so someone else, <laughs> he reversed it for me. Devin's like, yeah, dad, no, dad, you, you, you just spent 150 bucks. <laughs> I felt guilty. 
not a good steward of your, I'm sorry. But anyway, but that would be a total lie. It was just, I got, anyway. So where was I going? I don't know where I was going, but that was an entertaining moment, wasn't it? Hmm. There is still a son of Jonathan. He's lame in both feet. So King David had him brought from Lodabar. He had him brought from a no pasture land. Man, come on now. To the table of the king. I've never sat at a king's table before. What's it mean to sit with our heart above the table? It means that our weaknesses are under it. And at the table of Jesus, at the table of the Father, there is no need for our weaknesses to be under the rug. You know, it's a phrase of living in denial. It's under the rug. It's swept under. You're hiding it. No, we're not under the rug. We're under, our weaknesses are under the table, but our heart's above where God can feed us his favor. So things don't have to be hidden under the rug when we're at the table. Do you see the difference? We still have, we, he was still lame in both feet. And you and I, in our, in our, in our, in our, our self without Jesus, we're always going to be beset with weaknesses. We're always going to, you know, and I could preach in a way to call out all the stuff of our inconsistencies of sin nature and most likely have a pretty good move at the end where everybody's at the altar feeling bad, repenting. And I can say, man, God really moved. Look at the numbers. Look at the numbers. Look at the numbers. Where you can, because we agree with our, we agree with the word that we're, transgressors. But God doesn't spend good time, good wine, good food in a good place and just talk about what's under the table. And neither should we. Our weaknesses come with us to the table of grace. And it's way different than stuffing them under the rug. You know why we stuff things under the rug? I know why I do. Because I'm not convinced that the people around the table are going to favor me if I reveal them. Have you ever watched the reaction of other people's stuff by other people and you go, oh yeah, I'll keep that to myself. I'm just being real. You? You? Who deserves you to confess your sins to them so they can pray for you to be healed? Who? Who's earned that? Look at some of those scriptures a little bit more closely. I wouldn't guarantee, I wouldn't do that with everybody. I definitely wouldn't tell my dreams to everybody, even in the kingdom of God, even if they speak in tongues, even if they walk. I'm not telling my dreams to everybody. We got a track record that that doesn't always work out too well. Sometimes you can trigger people that are under the rug but look like they're at the table. Do I have any time left? I do. Above the table, we're always welcome and God has already said you get the, your whole life you get to sit at this table. Come on now. Below the table, we're marred images of God. 
We are. But we're loved because we're at the table by somebody else's provision. And God isn't trying to find a loophole to get us away from him. Who said amen? My bro. So at the table, here's what God wants to do for us. He wants to affirm us with his words. He wants to welcome us and continue to feed us. We don't have to sweep anything under the rug. There's no need with a welcome sign. We don't have to cover up. We are covered in grace. And Satan declares war on you living like that in me. He talks in older brother language when the prodigal is wrapped in his father's coat. He has a long list as to why you and I do not belong at the table. And if we are at the table, by all means, you don't have any right to all the graces of God. Maybe forgiveness, but nothing else. Who are you to act like a kid? Who do you think you are? I see what's under the table. Maybe I'll tell the guy sitting next to you what I know is under the table. Tweet, 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 tweet. Because we're a big threat to him. If I live under the rug, I've got to always bat. I love those songs. You guys didn't even know. You didn't know what I was preaching on. The, the first song that Carter did, we were talking about Pharaoh. I have one, here's my notes. Under the rug, there is shame we battle. There is fear we battle. There is depression we battle. We hold back. We push away gifts and opportunities of good things that God is trying to send our way because we would think it robbery knowing what we know about what's under the table. And if our heart sinks below the table, our heart sinks. Our heart must always be above. Our heart must always be at the place of the provision. Because if it goes under the table, we go. Under the rug. Shame makes us feel like it's got to be under the rug. Fear makes us feel like it's got to be under the rug. So we hold back. Because if we step out, if I step out and I start to shine, somebody that doesn't want me to shine in agreement with the devil, sorry, will make sure in a prayer request it's known what they know how long have you been in the caravan but we're under the table of grace and we can face all of our crippled parts in fatherly favor Jesus is our merciful high priest and here's a kicker according to Hebrews he's not only a merciful high priest he's our covenant brother brother I've actually said to the Lord if you don't mind and that's because I have a bad idea about God if you don't mind for the next little season I'm only going to think of you as my older brother because I've never had one and boy oh I love one he's not ashamed to call me his brother according to Hebrews 2 here I am he's not ashamed to call any of us his brothers and say actually actually Actually, it hurts him more when I push back what he wants to give me 
than when I receive it. That, you talk about the devil squealing like a pig, start acting like you're a prince. The devil howl at the moon, start acting like you're a princess in the kingdom of God. Start acting like you belong there. Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may find mercy and grace to help us in our time of need. The devil doesn't want that, but listen to this. This is beautiful now in this context. In this context, for Mephibosheth, David said this, you prepare a, I want to read it out of the New, the New English translation. You prepare a feast before me in plain sight of my enemies. You refresh my head with oil. My cup is completely full. More? Would you like more? Surely, surely, goodness and faithfulness will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will live in the Lord's house for the rest of my life. David knew that's Hesed. And so David in Hesed says in Hesed to, Jonathan, to Jonathan's son, you're going to sit at this table the rest of your life with me. Because your daddy and I have a covenant. Man. So how do I grow from, from how do I grow in this? How do I, I'm not a single, I was going to say as a single mom, I'm not a single mom. But how would I as a single, how would I as a single mom or how would I, how would I as a dad driving to, to, to the construction say, how do I walk this out? And there's a lot of ways that I have time, but here's just one way. One way is to have throne table talk every day. Throne table talk every day. Declaring God's word over yourself of what God has done. Let me ask you if you have permission to do this. Well, here's the thing. Did Jesus declare God's word over people? Did he? He did. Jesus spoke the word of God over the crowd, didn't he? As a sower sowed to see. But also, did Jesus address the invisible enemy of darkness that tried to influence Jesus' mind? Did he do that? Are we not to do, walk in the footsteps of Jesus? God told Joshua, if you want to really secure your place in this promised land, the word of God should never depart from your mouth. Day and night, meditate on it. Let the words of God rest in your mind. Our reservation is permanent in Christ. I want to read over you. I want everybody to, to get ready for this. I want to read over you, and Ben, you can come on back up. I want to read over you, and then after that, I want us to declare out of our mouth together, and we'll stand when we do that. But I just want to, just where you're seated, I want you to be in a, I want you to be in a place of rest. I want you in, in, in your faith to see yourself seated with your heart above the table where the favor of God is, regardless of wh where you are in progression in your walk below the table. Now listen to the words of the Lord. Let his word, let his word come over you. Forget not his benefits. He forgives all your sins. He heals all your diseases. He buys your life back from the pit. He crowns you with love and compassion. He 
satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for you because you fear him, you revere him. As far as the east is from the west, he has removed from you your transgressions. They have been removed from you. And as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on you. Let the word of God find a resting place. From everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who revere him. And his, listen, and his righteousness is with their children's children. Will you receive that right now? And his righteousness, in other words, a reservation place is at the table for your, your children's children. Hear the word of the Lord. Receive it is better than hearing it. Those the Lord has rescued will return. They will enter the place of God with singing and everlasting joy will crown their heads. God, send your word with power, we pray. Gladness and joy will overtake them and sorrow and sighing will flee away. Sorrow and sighing is now running away from your domain. It's running away. For God says, I, even I, am he who comforts you. Who are you that you fear mortal men? I have put my words. This is Isaiah, God speaking. Listen, this is for you and me. I have put my words in your mouth and covered you with the shadow of my hand. The power of God so strong I can't really stand up here. I who set the heavens in place, who lay the foundations of the earth, say to you, awake, rise up. You've drunk the cup of wrath. You've drained it to the end. But look, I have taken out of your hand the cup that makes you stagger. You will never drink it again. This is Isaiah 51. I will put it into the hand of your tormentors who have been saying to you, fall down on your face so that I may walk over you. Have you ever read these verses? They're in the Old Testament. They're for you. You made your back like the ground, like a street to be walked on, but now burst into songs of joy. Your ruins have been comforted, and I have redeemed you. I will lay bare my holy arm in the sight of all the nations, and all the ends of the earth will see the salvation of our God. Look, my servant, the see, it's all tied into the Messiah. My servant will act wisely. He will be raised and lifted up and highly exalted. And guess who got highly lifted up with him? You. He put his words in your mouth. I want you to stand, please. I want you to join me in saying out of your mouth 
these words that I have, I have refined in the scriptures to make sure that everything you say is biblically sound. And I want you to say these words and I want you to say them so that you can hear yourself saying them because they're true. By the grace of God, say this, by the grace of God, the grace of God and the glory of Jesus Christ, the glory of Jesus Christ I, speak I speak these words of faith in the presence of my Father, of my Father and in the presence of the enemy. Come on, man. We're going to have church right now. You ready? I am wearing the coat of my Father's favor. My heart is alive in the dreams of God. I am wearing the coat of my Father's forgiveness. God, I am coming to the table in your royalty. To bring glory to you, Father, and honor to your Son. I am coming to the table in the name of Jesus. I think it not robbery to believe he welcomes me, to come and sit down with him, to receive everything you want to give me today. I am ready to receive. But also in the name of Jesus. How many of you are ready to believe this? How many of you are ready to believe this? But also in the name of Jesus. I speak to the enemies around my life. Oppression and depression. You cannot touch me. Say it again. Oppression and depression. You cannot touch me. Accusation and slanderous words cannot land on my heart. The spirit of affliction, sickness and infirmity must depart from me in the name of Jesus. For Jesus was wounded for my transgressions. Jesus was crushed for my dark sins. Jesus was punished to bring me peace. And by his wounds, I am healed. In the name and honor of God, I receive all this grace in Jesus' name. Now, would you just give God praise and let's worship him in Jesus' name. Hey, this is Pastor Dustin, and thanks for listening. If you live in the Western Maryland area, we would love for you to engage with us at one of our weekend services or weekday gatherings. For directions, service times, and information about our fabulous children's and student environment, please visit myloh.church.